Chris Hahn here on the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We don't just talk about progressive politics. We tell you how to win because that's what being an aggressive progressive is. Check us out every Tuesday. New episodes on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss a week. The Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the OG bad boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple, Biff Clobo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Fay. Cliff. Bobo, how are you doing today? Good, man. Good. How are you? I'm doing okay, man. Just hanging in with like watching the plague do its thing all around me. I'm off of work right now. A museum is sl- is closed, unfortunately. Um, gigs keep canceling. And other than that, it was a really beautiful day. Exactly. I'm in the same boat. But um, we, I got a little bright spot for you. What is that? We got longtime researcher and longtime friend, musical inspirato, the man full of bravado. Paul Graves. Paul Graves. I have not spoken to Paul in a long time. Paul, are you there? Hey, thanks, you guys. Yes, I'm here. How's it going? Uh, it's going up. It's going better now that you're in my ears. It's nice to hear your voice, man. Oh, yours, yours too, you guys. It's been it's been too long, man. It's really good to hear hear you guys. And wow, Bobo, thank you for that introduction, man. It's like, yeah, <laughs> no, it's been too long. I hope you guys are doing good, and this is going to be great to be able to talk. Yeah, last time we saw you, we both saw you together was at uh, the Oregon Bigfoot Fest. I think it was called a year and a half ago. That's right. Yep, yep. That was that was a lot of fun. I guess there was almost like seven thousand people that came through that day, and they kind of outgrew it. And they're, I guess they're moving it to the the fairgrounds this year. And I did get invited back, so you guys will be seeing me again. I'll be playing some more songs, including. Bobo and Bun Bun. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We got to get hold of those files so we can put it on the uh, the podcast tonight. That's great. Sure, I could send you some of those. My favorite is Jim Henry. That's that song because for the people that don't know out there, Paul Graves is one of the Holy Trinity, one of the big three of Bigfoot rock and roll music. Him, the Yammeron, and uh, Buddy Knox. That's quite oh. a trinity. Thank yeah. you, Bobo. Yeah, that's I enjoyed writing that song and and Jim Henry. You know, he's still alive, and you know his his lifetime uh, encounters with these things are quite intriguing. And so, yeah, it was, it was something good to write a song about. That's for sure. <laughs> I do love Jim Henry. I I, lo- I love that song. But don't get me wrong, man. I think I might err towards Bigfoots and Butterflies. That's need a to hit, record man. another version of that. Maybe a shorter version. It is a bit long, but well, you know, you can always make it faster. Yeah, that'll make it shorter. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you know, last last year I sat down. I was gonna. I was actually gonna goof around and uh, do a, a a cover of that. I just. I think I laid down one track and never got it past there because like I'm distractible. But uh, maybe I'll give that free as a gift someday, Paul. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> so, Paul, uh, you you lived in Arizona for a while. I didn't think I knew that. Did you do any Bigfoot stuff down there, or for that matter, were you even interested in Bigfoot when you were down there? That no, that was right 
right after that actually is when I got interested or first became aware. It was around, it was 1988 and I lived down in, in Phoenix till 87. So I was moved back up to the Pacific Northwest in 88. That's when I was over at my sister's house and there was a Bigfoot show on. And that's when I'd heard the first story of a local guy that had seen one. And it was just instantly, you know, after that minute of, of talking to someone that had actually seen one of these things. And I'd always heard stories growing up, you know, living up here in Washington state and stuff. But, you know, I, I had other things to do and play music and this and that. And then just after hearing the, the guy talk about it, that actually, you know, he, seen one and the way he described it you know he saw it through his rifle scope for 20 to 30 seconds watched it and and the facial the way the bigfoot's face it was making like almost human-like facial movements you know the he was like oh well this wasn't no normal animal and he, and he couldn't shoot it i mean he would he wasn't about to shoot it just because of the fact that it was so humanish and freaked him out bad i mean it was and that's just up in the mountains behind here with a, with a rich history. This one particular valley is just, yeah, crazy. So, Outside of Wenatchee there or on the other yeah. side of the mountains? No, outside, just outside of Wenatchee, yeah. And is that your spot that you're working mostly or, uh, or, or uh, how do you approach your uh -huh. research? Do you work one spot or do you kind of float around to a bunch of different spots or how do you, how do you like to do things? Yeah, well, no, I definitely I, – I've got a few spots um that are what what I call just you know investigation areas and put places that I've camped my whole life uh most of them but you know there's a lot of areas you know dispersed areas you can go um and so I've probably got five or six really good core areas that that I can go and and um do good stuff you know so how do you yeah. how do you decide which one to hit um, it kind of just depends on what's going on. I mean, it's, it's not like, you know, I'm really worried about, you know, something happening every time because I just enjoy the mountains anyway, regardless, you know, so sure. sometimes yeah. it, it that's not my driving factor, you know, for going into the woods all the time. It's just, it's more or less where, to, where do I want to go? Where am I going this weekend? For what reason? You know, there's, there's, there's other factors into it. Oh, um, sure. But when, you know, when there's something that's really kind of hot, as, as we would all say, I guess, kind of going on and continued activity during a certain time period, I will spend a lot of time, you know, there at the at the one area. So, right, right. Yeah. You know, one thing, Paul, I know Paul has a different opinion than most researchers is he likes to go above above the snow line in the winter because he thinks they're up there more than below the snow line. Yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, they definitely, I mean still live up high you know there it's not like they come down during the winter time for sure absolutely because i mean especially like around here all the deer are down low you know all the food gets driven down lower and so they're making these sneaky raids at night you know just like uh, uh and they are sneaky i mean they'll sneak right into town one thing i found out like in in areas over here where you don't have you know obviously it's not as thick as western washington but one thing that I've really found is when these guys come down into town, into the edge of town here, they're still using the big evergreen tree type trees or the larger trees to hide in. Because we found prints like right below this one evergreen tree that was just down the road from where this one siding was. And 
I mean, these perfect big footprints, just boom, right at the base of the tree, like this thing had climbed this tree and then just popped down. And then over on the other side of the, one, of the river, there was a sighting, I actually made it into the paper where a lady saw one up in a tree. And it was in February too. So definitely, I think in the wintertime, you know, well, of course we all know this, you know, they're utilizing whatever cover that they can. And there's different kinds of cover. There's the cover of darkness, there's brush cover, you know, there's urban cover, there's all kinds of different kinds of cover and they're utilizing every single kind that there is. There's no doubt about it. So mm -hmm. how many reports do you get of them on all fours or creeping up on their belly crawling or, you know what I mean? Like how often do you hear that kind of stuff? Um, I hear it occasionally. And, and a lot of times it's, you know, it's people not really knowing exactly what they're seeing too, but they're describing right. something that's moving fast, you know, that's down low or whatever, or they'll, you know, of course, with some of the work we did in that one area up, that, up by that lake behind Mount, Mount Rainier that we're all familiar with. Mm -hmm. You know, when we when we have our thermal imagers, we'd be sitting around the camp and sometimes we'd see them coming in that way down low. So, you know, that, that's again, that's that that strategic ability to hide and, and utilize their strength and or whatever uh, for staying hidden. Because a lot of people, you know, they've said that before. It's like, oh, I just this thing just disappeared. Well, Man, if you were really, I've done it before. We just did it just to try it. You know, if you're standing totally straight up, you're six foot tall or seven foot tall or whatever, and you can drop to the ground like within a split second. And if, and if these things could do that and just drop to the ground and then all of a sudden they're on their belly and then they're just shooting off, you know, horizontally on the ground, only a foot off the ground, well, they basically disappeared. Yeah. I remember yeah, Rich's story about him seeing the one did that. You know, he said he was looking at it and it was standing there and it looked like an upended Volkswagen, this big black upended Volkswagen. And then the thing just kind of went down really fast and then shot through the brush kind of horizontally. It just freaked him out, you know. Was that Rick Hirschberg? Uh Jermu. Oh, Rick Jermu, yeah. Yeah. So um, at lately, I, I know that we're all real busy and working and everything else like that. Uh, how many nights do you think, or how many days, because I don't think it matters so much day or night, um, do you get out like maybe a month on average? What, like, what do you, what do you batten nowadays? I'm kind of in the woods all the time. Cause so we own property up on top of a 4,200 foot mountain, about a half hour outside of Wenatchee. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, they're, they're up there. Definitely. Nice. Um, nice. Found, yeah, some amazing stuff's happened up around there. So I'm up there all the time. And then my research partner and the guy that works for me, he lives on 160 acres up at the other end of the valley up here, just outside of town, um, up a canyon, up at the end of the canyon. And he lives on the original property. He was born on the property in 1980. And Basically, their whole life, their houses, it's it's one of the most unique houses I've ever seen. So on two sides, it goes straight down into a box canyon. I mean, straight down, and it's all overgrown, just like jungle. And that's how they get their water is, is, the, is out. There's two springs in this box canyon. And ever since 1980, they've, they put pipes into the in, right into the rock to get their stuff. And the whole history of, it, of it's always getting messed with the the uh, spring always getting messed with all the time, like pipes getting pulled out, this and that. Well, my friend Josh, when he was 13, he's 38 now. Um, 
they he was up there with his brother and his other friend and they were they had their guns and they were just kind of messing around or whatever and they were by the main spring and they were just sitting there and this uh, bigfoot came right out of that spring not that far away from him and and went right it took 20 foot steps he said he said he couldn't believe after the thing saw him how fast it went up the hill and they have an orchard up there that's backs right into the forest and it's an old orchard it's been there since the 1800s and um that's where we heard one a couple years ago there was one up in there but yeah no there's they're definitely up in there and so i'm up there hiking around all the all the time also so yeah i'm i'm in the woods all the time i mean every other day every day i don't know it's a lot <laughs> oh well that's that's rad because uh, you say box canyon and spring and overgrown that's got pretty much everything you need right there like, oh they yeah love that no, it's, it's, and and you would not believe the deer kills that we find in the middle of winter uh unbelievable with with associated tracks um like deer with just like a hole right by where their heart is punched right through the ribs <laughs> or wow. this hole you know oh yeah we've we've documented all with pictures and everything i mean but yeah they're they're definitely in there i mean there's there's no doubt about that and then other neighbors even from around there i've i've talked to other people that in the same vicinity that have seen them too so but you know where i live i mean the cascade mountains just come right down to you know, they're just right here. It's it's kind of like where Bobo lives almost, you know, he's close to the the mountains right there, fairly close. You know, you get past Blue Lake there and you're basically in the mountains, you know, so. But, you know, for people who, uh, we have a lot of listeners worldwide, actually. So thank you all, you people on the other continents there um, listening, but they may not know about the Cascades particularly, or they may have only seen pictures uh, online or something, but you live in a very special place uh, as far as I'm concerned, the east side of the Cascades is remarkable, you know, because you can go to the Olympic Peninsula or the Redwoods where Bobo lives. Um, and, you know, it's a rainforest, basically, Fernie, the yeah. whole nine. And then you go to where I live on the west slopes of the Cascades and you get a little bit less water, but it's still obviously a rainforest. It's nuts over here. But you get over to the east side of the Cascades and um, at least over, uh, here in Oregon, Manhood National Forest and all that stuff. And man, the whole thing is is a transition zone. The transitions, uh, tra transition zones are where one, I guess, biome trans transitions to another, like the place between forest and desert or yes. meadow and woods, that sort of thing. And the entire east slope of the Cascades is bordering rainforest to the west and then like a high desert sort of plain stuff to the east. So it's this giant transition zone going hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles. Um, I think I've said this for a long time. I wouldn't, I think, and I wouldn't be surprised, uh, if I'm right, that there are probably more Sasquatches on the East side of the Cascades than on the West side, just because of the available yeah. food the variety of food and the variety of habitat and just the sheer amount of ungulates and other herbivores. I agree. Yeah. Well, you're, you're right. In a lot of ways. I mean, it's, yeah, it's an amazing, amazing area that is, it, it, I mean, basically I got like almost 5 million acres in my backyard here. And like you said, the diversity is what is so cool. Um, especially like where I live here in Wenatchee, it's like, so you got one side, you can either walk up and you're into the mountains or the other side of the river, you're going off into the desert regions and like 96% of the diversity in Washington state is all like within 10 miles of where I live here. So yeah, you want to talk about diversity. I mean, we've got like the ancient lakes down at one end you can go and they're like the old prehistoric, uh, 
Missoula uh, flood type stuff that carved out these huge amphitheaters of rock and stuff. And then the Columbia River will be close by, or you can go right into these huge mountainous areas. The Cascades are generally, the Cascades are a rugged mountain range, much, much, much more rugged than like the Olympics as far as diversity. You know, there's a lot of granite, um, a lot of really steep and inaccessible hard areas to get into. Um, and they are unique in that one way, but they do, you know, they literally go from just above us here in Canada all the way down to like where Bobo lives almost, you know, that whole length. And so, yeah, you, there's a lot of habitat there. Cause like when I go hiking, I, I hardly ever run into any, I don't ever see anybody, you know, it's, uh, I know on the other side of the mountains, it's, it's not that way, but, um, over here, there's still a lot of, a lot of land, you know, and it's kind of like being in the, you know, when you went, Bobo, I know one of your place, one of your favorite places to go is Australia and, and going into the outback. I've always wanted to do that too. I bet that was really cool. That was uh, awesome. Yeah. But, but I kind of like it here a little better because there's not as many things that can kill you like, like there. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. A significant portion of the most poisonous snakes in the world oh. live in uh, Australia. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, Western Europe and North America are like about the only two places in the world there's not a bunch of stuff trying to kill you all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, traveling abroad really uh, taught me what a benign continent we live on. Right. No, I bet. Yeah. That's really cool. You guys got to experience that. Uh, yeah, so but it sure is nice to be home. Yeah, I bet. Especially now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're forced to stay inside now, so... <laughs> Yeah, you would have been swimming home, basically. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, nothing like a good plague to, you know, jar your, like to shake your cage a little. You know, cause I, I always thought that we had way more Bigfoots now than like even 100 or 150 years ago, because I always figured, you know, like just like when Europeans, white people went to Asia and Africa, we infected the local, like, and, you know, we are, you know, smallpox and all that stuff decimated the local populations, the natives. And I always think that I always thought Bigfoot was close enough to us. And I mean, because monkeys and gorillas and chimps can catch stuff from us and vice versa. I always figured that they got some of those smallpox blankets or whatever. Their numbers got decimated by new disease. And I'm wondering how, if this is eventually going to reach the Sasquatch, and this is going to decimate the Sasquatch. And well, you, you didn't hear. That's the whole reason the government did this. I guess they, they did this because we were getting too close to the Sasquatch. So they had. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's sure. our fault. <laughs> I gotta clear that up with conspiracy. <laughs> it's the big, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I mean, the uh, Bigfoots are pretty safe, I think, just because of the social distancing thing. I mean, they're a level expert on that, right. so I think they're probably they're pretty experts. good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and they've got to have an amazing immune system. So, yeah, I'm just worried about them. I know, I know, Bobby. You're a compassionate man. So, so Paul, uh, what's been catching your attention lately in the in the world of Bigfoot? There's so much stuff going on. It's kind of hard to keep up anymore. You know, you you got a lot of people out there doing all the online stuff, and and um, I I guess I'm I guess I guess I'm kind of old school. I don't don't get into too much of that, but um, you, you can't, man. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's hard. Yeah, there's just so much going on, and most of it's just white noise anyway. As far as I, I know, tell. it's just so different from when we started, you know, and and. You know, there's people out there that got channels and this and that. But, you know, the main thing, I, I just hate seeing people 
shoot other people down when they really never even met met the person or really know their work or anything like that. People are just so quick to jump at a conclusion, you know, when, when really they don't know much about, you know, um, yeah. to generalize or whatever. Right. But, you right. know, some people, I guess that's, I mean, there, I guess we're always going to have people like that, you know, that, that need that type of attention or whatever. And I, so, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. Um, I've always thought, you know, there's like maybe a, a, a generalized two kinds of Bigfooters, the kind that um, focus on the animal and then the kind that focus on the other Bigfooters. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I've always yeah. been kind of the, the former. I, I really care about the animals and, you know, it, and there's plenty of people out there I disagree with, but I don't really care what they're doing. I mean, let's all learn yeah. from each other. Let's share stuff. If like, oh, you think that? I don't think that, but I think this is what's going on. That's cool. Let's talk, you know. I just don't understand all this uh, infighting and whatever else. And luckily mm -hmm. I don't have time for it. And luckily I've got a really crappy memory. So I don't know if most people are anyway. Well, yeah. And I, th <laughs> I think it's important to, you know, if someone has something to talk about and they're, and they're really sincere about what they're, what the, you know, they're talking about, you, you should give the person at least a chance to, to talk about it. And, and it may not be pertinent to them. Um, like I've heard, I don't know. I just heard this one video recently. There's there's a new guy that's doing a lot of Bigfoot videos. It, I think his name's Steve. It's like How to Hunt. Oh yeah, he talks a bunch of smack. Yeah, well, I, I don't me. know. I just yeah. he was like, well, he was like, I'm I'm not in. He, he said he didn't care about the stick structure thing, and it's like, well, to me, see, I've had personal things happen with the stick structure thing, and and I'm really interested in that aspect of it because of, you know, the things that I found and also the repeated things that other people have found over the years. So to me, you know, it is part of, of the research, whether it's going to prove one thing or another. No, it's, it's, of course it's not, but I'm still interested in it, you know, because to me, that's a form of communication or, and, or some gifting going on, or there's something going on with, with, with that whole thing. I'm totally myself from what I've had happen. And I've written some papers on this that are available at Sasquatch Canada uh, website that Chris Murphy has put together over the years. Thank Chris has just done some wonderful work documenting things. If if anyone really wants to go go to a good website, that's an excellent website. They got some really good papers on there and What's other stuff. Again, Paul? Huh? What's the name of this website again? Um, Sasquatch Canada. Okay. Yeah. And Chris kind of helps run it. There's someone else that runs it, but I just know there's a lot of good information on there and papers and books and videos and things like that that are that are legit, you know. So, well, I've got a question for you because um, I'm unconvinced about the stick structure thing, and I'm not challenging you in any way. So don't sure. think that. But um, I'm unconvinced, and I hope they do make those things. I really do. Oh, they, I could they, show you. Yeah, <laughs> they very well might, right? Um, but what what I'm lacking um, at this point um, are two things. Um, I've never seen, like, say, say for example, footprints in direct association with one of these things. And the second thing that I, I think is missing. I showed you one um, of my footprints. You 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 felt it and saw it and everything that was in direct relationship. Which one was that? Uh, there was a track right there. I. Remember, it only showed three toes, but you could barely see the other two. And you were like, oh, I see them. And you put your hand over it and you felt it. But no, there was all that stuff that appeared where that I wrote that paper about all that stuff that appeared. 
and it all had to do with there. There was more to it than that. I was on a search. Was I, was, was I on? Yeah. I wasn't on the scene at the time, right? You said I put no. my hand over it, or I just brought. I had brought it somewhere and I showed it to you. Yeah, oh, a footprint cast. Yeah, it was a cast exactly. Oh. But, no, I casted one, and it was right there, right next to where all this stuff appeared, where no one knew where I was camped. I was the first person ever to make a campsite in this area. I actually had to break branches off the tree just to get my one-man tent in there. And then two weeks later, all this stuff appeared, all this weaving and this knot. That, By the way, Dmitry Bainov in Russia, if you've ever read any of his books, he talks about in his book that – making knots is one of now i don't know where he got this information but he says that's one of sasquatches th that they do that often um, but bendernagel spent a whole day at this site and you know it, when you have so that's where I, I guess i'm getting at you can't make anyone believe this stuff until something like what happened happens to you personally and when it did it, i mean if it ever did like what happened to me cliff you would be a believer well any you'd be a believer of something made it you're right did we witness the sasquatch actually making that no but with the track and the other stuff that goes on around there trees getting pushed over all this other stuff going on you know there's a good possibility of, of that that's yeah, i'm afraid i don't i I, I, remember, I remember you showed me a couple tracks over the years, and I, I don't remember this one specifically. But next, maybe, you know, if you're doing the, um, the, the organ gig again in July, bring it down. I'd like to check that oh, out again. Okay, please. Sure. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and, you know, and let me ask you this, though. Um, and again, I'm not challenging, but are, are you aware of any sighting report of these things being put together by a Sasquatch? Um, I'm not, not. Well, not completely put together, but I I do have sighting, firsthand sighting reports of them taking a branch and bending it into an arch. A guy uh -huh. witnessed that. And then uh -huh. someone else I've got a report of right up behind me here that was this Sasquatch taking pieces of wood and like banging them together, What was watching them, but it was kind of like almost stacking these pieces of wood around this other big piece of wood. It was like banging and and leaving pieces of wood stacking them kind of in a, around this big log type thing. And he right. he witnessed that. He saw that happen. Was that maybe it was trying to was it trying to test the acoustics maybe? He's trying to find a good knocking stick, you think, or something? I don't know, because he said he kept picking up different sticks and was kind of moving them around in kind of a in just in one area or whatever. So that's weird. I, lo I love that kind of stuff. Like the weird yeah. behaviors that are very few, if any people have and, ever observed. I and love this that was stuff. a bow hunter. Yeah. This was a bow hunter. So, you know, he was, he knew the woods and, and then the other guy was, was, was actually fishing and this, this Sasquatch was across the river and came out of the trees and took this big branch and just bent it over in this perfect arch right in front of him. Oh, I, and then I got another guy actually that was driving a logging truck in between uh, Elma and Shelton at three o'clock in the morning and was on his way to work. And a Sasquatch ran out into the middle of the road in front of him and then ran, ran back up the embankment and grabbed out of the ground about a Chris, about your average Christmas tree pulled it right out of the ground and threw it in the middle of the road in front of his truck. <laughs> wow. You know, Paul, you had a great story, or I don't know if it's great, but when, when people talk about our Bigfoot's ever dangerous, I saw him, Paul had a great story about the guy that was target shooting and then camped there that night. The guy that was shooting the 22 rifle down in the middle. He was actually hunting. Yeah, no, he was hunting. 
I thought he was target shooting. What, tell that story real quick. You mean the guy that got his ribs broke? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. So, well, he was up a particular valley, and he and he was hunting. He was he was on a high hunt, and uh, basically he set his sleeping bag up, and he'd always carried his gun, and he would sleep at night with his gun for some reason on his chest. I don't know, you know, just guess some people, whatever, whatever. And uh, basically in the middle of the night, something just came and beat the crap out of him. It came right on top of the tent, pushed the tent all the way down. He said it felt like a steam engine on top of him. I mean, it was, it was, whatever it was, was big, powerful. He was helpless. Oh, and it broke a couple of his ribs when the thing pushed down on his tent. So, but that, yeah, that guy, that happened to that guy. And then the other guy that the the, uh, federal employee told me about was the guy that got picked up in his sleeping bag and drug around the campsite for two or three hours (laughs) yeah it was (laughs) rolled him around in a sleep bag and picked him up and played with him like a toy for like two or three hours but he he had been shooting wasn't he the guy was he the guy shooting the 22 rifle at the stump and the stump was gone no no this was a prospector okay i got stories see i got my stories mixed up but that's still pretty crazy stories and there was another guy that was picked up up one of these lakes up above me here was picked up by a Sasquatch and, and started to get carried off. And somehow or another, he got loose. Like he took him down this little ravine and then back up the other side and he got away. And that's, that was at a particular lake. And then the same lake at a different year, another guy got drug out of his tent and placed in the crotch of a tree. By something, by something. So, and remind me not to go camping above Wenatchee. <laughs> you ever, you ever camp there? Oh yeah, it's like one of my favorite places to go. I've spent my whole life there. I started going up there as a as a young teenager, um, as a camper at at CYL Camp, which is now Sleeping Lady Retreat, and um, we would take young kids up there. Like the oldest adult would be like 18 or 19. And we'd have like 30, 11 year olds, you know, all camping on the open ground, no tents. That must've been quite the attractant for all sorts of interesting. Yeah. I in. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) You heard these stories from a ranger, right? Wasn't it? Yeah. That the guy in the sleeping bag was from the ranger. Because the ranger saw the guy coming out all broken up, right? Exactly. Yeah, he actually, and I know the, I know the ranger. I did some concrete work for him. So, yeah. So, so Paul, like uh, these stories are wonderful, but really, the the one of the best stories I've ever heard you tell um, was in that song, uh, Jim Henry. Yeah. Uh, t- tell us about him because he's a fantastic witness and he has a fantastic song to, um, uh, you know, uh, immortalize him. Yeah, Jim Jim is wow, what a great friend that I met. I actually met him. There was an article in the newspaper that came out about me like way back in like 2004, maybe somewhere around there. And Jim it went AP and Jim had read the article and he actually called me up, you know, and he he took the time to to look up my number and actually call me and he called me and he just basically said, he goes, "Listen, Paul." <laughs> He goes, don't, don't you ever let anyone tell you that these things don't exist. They exist, you know, and he just went on basically to tell me, starting to tell me his, his lifetime story of, of his encounters. Most, most of them, of course, um, happening over on his property that he owned over in the Grays Harbor area. He was married in, um, 
in the Hoquiam Aberdeen area and then uh, had some property up along the Hump Tulips. Hump Excellent. Tulip. I always liked that name. I always thought that was a cool name. Hump Tulips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a good, it's a good stripper, good stripper name. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so, and I was just, I was dumbfounded by his, you know, his, but the cool thing about it, you know, he was never like way overboard with any of his sightings. I mean, his sightings were, you know, the way he talked about them, they were pretty, pretty real sounding, you know, uh, a lot of times the Bigfoot would watch him as he was clearing his land. He was cutting some trees down to clear his land and he would burn the slash and the Sasquatch would just be back in just far enough back in the trees and would watch him. Um, and then the one night, like in the song, when I'm talking about the flood, well, there was a really bad flood that, which, oh yeah, we can talk a little bit about this other thing that happened. So, um, there was a flood and this Bigfoot, Jim was down there with his small little flashlight, putting sticks in the ground to see how far up the water was coming. You know, he was kind of worried it was going to come clear up to the house or whatever. And he was down there one night doing that. And this Bigfoot apparently was right next to him and kind of huffed and it scared him so bad jim kind of jumped back and almost and basically landed almost like on the bigfoot for a second for a split second and then they both there was a commotion and one went one way and the other went the other way and so that was part of that story um huh. but yeah and you know and the neat thing about it is he did uh eyewitness drawings also he's a great artist and he drew a lot of the bigfoots that he saw and what they were doing during his his encounter. He also saw one that came that ran out right in front of his car, right just past Hoquiam High School. So those pictures are on your uh, YouTube channel page, I think, right? I've got maybe a couple of them on there. I need to I need to get some more out there. I know there's a there's a couple of people have interviewed him over the years, and there's a couple videos with actually him talking, you know, on video. And then the, my song's playing in the background, but he's he he is talking about his encounters also on a couple of YouTube videos, which is cool. So yeah, his sketches are on there too. Yeah, but it, yeah, no, he's a really neat guy, and and you know it's funny because when you really get to know Jim and what he's all about, um, you 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 get it why the Bigfoot came around as much as it did. You know, I'm a firm believer that Bigfoots know different people's psyche or, or whatever or their personalities or whatever. I mean, dogs and people, you know, there, there's a connection with, with all animals. And I, I totally believe that Bigfoot knows that. And a quick little story I thought that was really cool. Jim grew up on a farm and he used to have to kill the chickens for dinner at night. Well, he, he hated doing that. He loved his animals, you know, and that was one of his chores. Well, at a very young age, six years old, he learned how to hypnotize his chickens. It was, I don't know how it happened, but just one day he learned how to like hypnotize them and put them to sleep in other words, kind of. And he did that uh, for the first time when he had to, had, when he had to kill the chicken for that night's dinner and they're all sitting around the table that night eating and the, and the, and the dad just said, my gosh, Ethel, this is the best tasting chicken you've made in a long time. And it was it was because Jim had put that chicken to sleep before he killed it. And so the, all the endorphin, all that bad stuff didn't go into it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. No adrenaline release. Yeah, and so he learned that at a young age. And so he would do that. And I, I don't know. I just 
thought that was kind of cool when he told me that story. So, so uh, I remember in the song, like uh, he saw a herd of elk or something swimming. Is that correct? Yes. And, yep. And a yep. Sasquatch was corralling them or herding them somehow. Right. It was swimming in in among them. He couldn't believe what he was what he was seeing. And at first, he didn't really know. He just saw something strange in the middle of them. And they were. It was up in the Olympics, and this herd was in the and this Bigfoot was kind of in in the middle of this whole group swimming along. And then they all got out at the edge of the lake, and then this Bigfoot got out, shuck himself off, and then walked off on tiptoes. Yep. He said it looked like a guy, yeah, walking on tiptoes. He was like, it was like, maybe not trying to leave full prints. I don't know. You know, that's the only thing I can think because he said it. It looked like it was he was a soldier that had just put his boots on. You know, when they're kind of, before they lace them up or whatever, and they're kind of hopping around. Kind of looked like that. Huh. He said they had the hands were like paddles. They were like the Stacy Brown thermal clip. Yeah. We got to get Jim Henry on here, clip, and do an interview with him too. Yeah, he unfortunately is 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 experiencing some some dementia, but uh, I did uh, talk to him this year. He was in Florida, um, down there visiting his wife's sister for like a couple months. He's like, yeah, here's the key because he, he he he's they've got a place you know on the ocean too. He's like, yeah, just go out to the ocean, stay if you want, you know. And, so I'm hoping to hook up with him later this year um, out on the ocean. So you know, usually with dementia, those guys can remember stuff like this stuff happened in 40, 50 years ago. They can remember that a lot of times. They just don't remember yesterday or the morning. Right, right. He's uh, got. He's got to be close to ninety, isn't he? He is. He's like eighty six, I think, or eighty seven now. Yeah, he was a cool guy, man. He, he had such a good vibe to him. Yeah, yeah. No, he's a really cool guy. Paul, you do a lot of audio recording. Have you yeah. noticed any patterns to knocking or whistles or howls or whoops or anything like that? Well, the pattern with the whistle, which I I think is really to me is really intriguing, is is and it's one of the last things I just heard this last this last fall when I got run out of a of an area up here above where I live after I witnessed a tree getting pushed over right in front of me week later, me and John Andrews, John Andrews, by the way, my good friend, John, he moved to Wenatchee. So John's here now. And so we, we, we do research together and investigations and camping together. You know, we like to get out in the woods, but we were up there a week later and, um, this thing came right to the edge of our camp and it whistled. And when they whistle, they have that scream. That's almost like, it's like a whistle scream. That's the base. I that's the best I can describe it. And I've heard it down on the blues also. Have you guys ever heard that? Heard it once in the Olympics with Flippy. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure I've heard that. I've heard the chirp whistles and this like the regular people sort of whistles. Um, even recorded one of those one time, but I haven't heard that scream whistle thing. So this where I'm where I'm at it was it's this really remote little camp spot way up almost to the crest of the cat. You're almost in Western Washington at this point. Okay. That's how high up I am. And the reason I went there is because this family got a hold of me this last summer and they were in there camping. And basically in, in a nutshell, a Bigfoot came in and started like literally terrorizing all the way around the campsite, like running around, screaming, banging, doing all the basic things. I mean, they were this guy's like grown up. He's, he's, he's an avid backpacker and everything's been all over the place. And I mean, they were to the point where literally 
they packed up and they left that night. But before they left, they so they had their they had a I think one dog and like three kids, and the kids were running all over the place. Well, the one young boy had his phone and he was playing a video game or something on there and he decided to take a picture and he took a picture right before they left it was just getting dark and they got a picture of a bigfoot really oh yeah the guy sent it to me because they went back the very next day because they were so i mean these these are people that don't get run out of the woods okay i mean this guy has been in the woods his whole life this is how terrified they were this night this thing was was terrifying they came back the next day because they had to investigate, and they stood right where they took that picture. And so the, the picture is just this black thing peeking around a tree. So it, it, you know, I could send it to you until the, the cows come home. It's not going to prove nothing, you know. But right. the after picture is really cool because the very next day, I mean, he got perfectly lined it up with the trees, and there's nothing there. I mean, it's definitely there was something there the night before that's black and has a big head. It almost looks like the Bigfoot in the pancake footage. It's got a really big kind of helmet like head almost. How big so anyway, it? that's the reason that I went in here and I went in by myself and was setting camp up and it was almost dark. And this tree, like about 40 yards away, just came crashing down right at me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These folks, they said that they hiked around after this happened, and they'd hiked around the day before, and he told me that he found a really odd structure. He said, he goes, I don't know, it's one of those small teepee-type structure things. So we found it, and oh my gosh, it is, it's amazing. You can grab it. A human could not make this, okay? Human cannot make these teepee structures, Cliff. Some of them are so strong, you can grab the top of it, and there's always that horizontal stick that I talked about, you know, really early on that, that's a keyway that kind of holds it all together. But this particular example is beautiful. I mean, it'll still be there next year it'll, for, for sure. These things last years. That's how, that's how well made they're made. And the bonobos and the great apes in Africa, they make, they weave, you know, their, their nests together that are like a 150 pound man gets in them and jumps up and down and they're, sp- and they're only 50 pound bonobos, you know, or, or orangutans. But anyway, this particular structure that's up there near where all this stuff's going on is, is beautiful. I'll, I'll show it to you if you ever want to see it, but I mean, it's, you can grab the top of it and pull as hard as you can, and you can't even pull it apart. And when you look at it, you're like, Oh, I could do that. And it's like, but the longer you look at it, uh, uh-uh, uh, nope. You can't do that. There's something out there making odd structures. Let's just say that because I found too many of them. I mean, I mean, it's either humans or it's something else. Right, Bottom right. Line. Yeah, see, that's the thing. And I'm sure you've seen it too. I, I think that there's a um, – I'm not saying – I've never. I don't think I've ever said that Bigfoots do not make structures. I'm just yeah. saying that at this point, I, I think that it's on the people who are advocates to come up with one-to-one connections and show repeatable patterns. Yeah. Um, just like, you know, like, like these footprints, so, just like you said, something is making these structures. Well, something's making those footprints. And we have observations of Sasquatches in places and footprints found directly afterwards. So there's a one-to-one correlation. And I'm telling you, I hope that Sasquatches make structures because that'd be a really interesting avenue of, uh, well, of, 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 of inquiry. And I'm glad people like you are into it to try to find it out, you know? Well, I think that, but I think there is a repeatability, you know, we are finding tracks near these structures. We are f- having sightings near these structures, you know, um, 
they're so my main thing is them appearing within days and then disappearing or disappearing. That's so what that's I, what's going on. So these things just don't appear. The wind just doesn't pick them up and, and weave these things together. I mean, literally, I mean, impossible things for for weather to do within like a two week period or something, especially. And like the structures that stayed like where my one man tent was, they stayed for like four years. I documented, filmed, documented it for four years. I mean, the, the strength and the ability of whatever is making these things is just flat amazing. That's all I got to say. Well, and there yeah. is, there's other people finding this stuff too. It's not just me. Um, but I think there's something really to it. And, you know, even the Bonobos and some of the, some of the chimps, I'm not sure which ones t I won't quote exactly, but I know that some of them leave sticks along trails to let the other ones know they've gone down that particular trail. Yeah. Like the intersection, which way they went. Yeah. I mean, it just, it totally makes sense that they do do something like this. It all lines up. I know Bendernagel was really into it because it, it lines up with the other great apes, what they're doing and what we do. You know, we build to a certain extent and use, use for whatever art, uh, for, for a sign or whatever. But to me, it makes perfect sense. And with, with everything else lining up the footprints, the sightings that are going on with them, you know, there's, there's just a really good probability that, 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 these really are real things being made by Sasquatches. And that's what is interesting to me. And I keep doing it because I, I do find repeatability. And like I said, it's the ones that disappear or appear within a short period of time, but you have to be in a situation to observe that stuff. You know, you've got to have an area where you can go. I just don't go out in the woods and just start looking around for, I mean, it's usually connected with something else. There's something going on. Um, it's near an area you're going, or it's a lot of times, you know, these are found even near human areas, which could indicate a number of things, you know? Um, yeah, that's one of the things that's kept my mind open about it. I'm still, you know, I'm, skeptic, I'm skeptical as I'll get out, and I'm becoming even crotchetier and more weird as I get older about all the sorts of big stuff, you know? <laughs> it, it's true. I've just become this Bigfoot curmudgeon yelling at the kids to get off my lawn, you know? Um, but uh, the, the thing that keeps my mind open is work by people like you who find um, the, these things appearing and disappearing and all that sort of stuff during a limited period of time. Or I remember one of the earlier things that I saw that I found very compelling was uh, in the Chris Noel documentary impossible visits um he documents some of these things appearing and disappearing as well on um on possible uh, long-term witness properties and that kind of stuff has kept my mind wide open I, but again i'm just i'm just a sad old man now that doesn't believe in anything but bigfoot so i um i'm just trying to figure out okay i, I need to close the gap so to speak between my skepticism and um and my the possibility i suppose at this point yeah, and it, it it does sometimes takes it takes um you know something happening personal to you to to really to validate that and it's definitely definitely happened to me and I've seen it happen uh, uh, with some other folks with some um, investigations that I've done some things that have happened around their homesteads and stuff things appearing and disappearing you know. But again, I just, it just makes, to me, it makes perfect sense. You know, it's, it's, it just lines up with all the other things that these things seem to be. And that's why I, I like John Bendernagel's work so much. I mean, he, he really was on to things. Boy, I miss John. He's, he oh, was such a great yeah. guy. He yeah. was such a, a positive force in the field. He like, was. Like a unifier yeah. in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah. He, 
he would never go out there and talk shit about people or anything like that. He'd be open-minded to everybody. And if he didn't agree, then he would still listen. He was just, what, what a wonderful example for all of us. I exactly cliff. I mean, he, he really was, and he would give anybody the time, you know, he would really intently sit down and listen to what they had to say. And to me, that's great. You know, so. And he had a hot chick. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> Joan. Yeah. I, I hope Joan's doing okay. I think there's going to be a book coming out. Um, I did a little bit of stuff. I, I'm sure you might have contributed a little bit, but I think there there will be a book eventually coming out, his biography. So. Oh, rad. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, he was cool, man. Like he never he never held a grudge me for digging on his woman either. <laughs> he funny. he paid me one of the greatest compliments I've ever received, and it's just so meaningful. Um, I'll try to get the quote right, but if I don't, it's real, real close. Um, he saw me speak at the uh, international, uh, Bigfoot conference a number of years ago. And, um, I did a thing on handprints and I think Dan Perez asked him like, so what do you think of cliffs? You know, whatever. And, um, and he, and his response was, I'm a big fan of cliff. It's like, oh, what a, what the, that's like the nicest thing that the nicest person in the world's ever said about me. And for those listening, you got to pick up Bender Noggle's books. He's got a couple of books that are must reads. Yeah, absolutely. Both of them. Both of them. They're fantastic. Yes, both excellent. Yeah, the second one's a little hard. It's pretty, I won't say it's hard to read, but it's deep. Man, like it, it's more of a, like a, a um, it's sort of an academic. essay. Yeah, it's, it's academic. And he really wrote it for academics, explaining yes. to the academics why you academics won't accept this, but, but it's clearly here. And he was basically a history of the philosophy of science and skepticism in a way it was in, in delusion really in a different way. It was a really eye opening book, but man, it was, it, it took, took a lot of concentration to read. That book was yes. And, and, you know, that was one of his big things that he was trying to do at the end there. He was trying to get the scientific community on board with this thing. And he was so baffled with with all the stuff you know the history going back to the beginning of of mankind basically you know written history of these things all the way up to the present time that he wasn't getting more you know people on board and i know that frustrated him a lot so oh yeah 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 i feel bad for those guys that have really dedicated themselves you know i i thought Bindernaga had a really good chance of seeing some academic acceptance like i thought you know he was in his lifetime but the longer it goes on and on, I'm just like, I, I thought we we're any day, any day, any day. And now I'm like, man, it might be years and years still to go. I mean, it could be any, you know, it just takes one hunter or one truck driver to hit one, whatever. But You know, not- that's my big question about this whole thing is with the history of mankind at this point that where we're at, that there hasn't been, and I know there's been accident because there was a dead one found up on Blue Pass just outside of Wenatchee here. But why hasn't there been, you know, if these things really exist, there should be more accidents. There should be ones that were hit by a bulldozer or a logging crew or, you know, hit by a semi. And, you know, what's what's going on with that aspect of it? I mean, can you guys, do you guys know or have any ideas it's it's inexplicable really i mean you said it, it's been so many years with billions of people on this earth 
millions of guns, hundreds of millions of guns. And yeah, there should be one somewhere out there by accident or something. I mean, what, what's going on? And, and there, and there can't just be, and then some other people go, Oh, well, it's the government or whatever. And they're hiding this whole thing from us. And it's like, well, how can that be? If it, how could it go clear back into the ancient times too? You know, I would probably, if I had to get, I mean, I, I think there's a couple factors at play in that. I, I think uh, um, number one, the rarity of the species has a lot to do with it. I think there are very, very few of them, so very, very few of them actually ever get do actually get killed. And right. uh, and the 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 handful, well, I, I was was a guy Edwards, I think, on his um, uh, Bigfoot Lunch Club blog. I think he did a little bit of number crunching, and he said that somebody claims to have shot one every five years on average in the 20th mm-hmm. century. I think that's what he said, if I remember right. But I think you can throw out 80% of those as hogwash. I, I think that that most likely, all, not all those people are telling the truth. I think that there's some sort of human factor going on, like some sort of psychological thing. Because you, you, you guys have both heard, like, I thought I, you know, I thought I shot a human or I, I thought I was going to shoot a human so they didn't pull a trigger. Um, there might be some of that going on, um, particularly, you know, 50, 60 years ago when the whole Bigfoot thing was a little less taboo than it is today. I'd like to think that something I said has some truth to it. You know, that probably well, isn't it, the whole nine. I actually, thing, but, you know. I actually have a, a, a really good um, story. So one of my good friends that I grew up with that I played in a band with for a number of years, he used to live up the Medhow Valley and they had property. It was up on Libby Creek. And basically the story is that Every year for a couple of years, he'd noticed this old guy walking through the back of their property and kind of walking close to the edge of their property and then heading back up further back up. And a couple of years went by or whatever, and he'd seen this guy. And then finally he went out there. He'd lived there for a number of years, and he asked the guy what he was doing. And they got talking, and, and this, this old guy basically told Mont, my friend, he said, well, you're not going to believe this, but I shot and killed – what he described was a Sasquatch, a hairy covered beast, and he buried it. Mm. And he and he buried it for that same reason because it it was so humanist that he was scared of whatever, whatever. But he buried it and he was basically going back every year trying to find where he'd buried it. He'd he'd forgotten or something where he I don't know. I don't know the whole story. This is just a story I got. But, yeah. you know, I trust my friend and I mean, it, he definitely talked to this guy and why the guy would lie to him about what it's kind of an odd thing. Just, you know, you're walking through your property and you're going to start telling someone, you know, that. So anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. So, yeah, there there could be a lot to that, Cliff, what you're you're talking about is the human human side. The guy, my first report, the guy had it in his gun sights. He couldn't shoot it. So my gut tells me it's a human thing. Right. So Yeah. Hey, yeah. Paul, tell us about your I know. You finally had a setting. I remember that uh, several years ago. Well, yeah, I had a couple maybe, you know, and I don't talk about them too much, but the weirdest one was up in the blues when I was driving up in the blues and something crossed in front front of the road in front of me, big black bent over. I gave my Jeep just a little bit of gas. It was like, cause I, I wasn't even thinking about Bigfoot at the moment. I was just daydreaming, driving up this road. I was going up to meet some folks to, for the weekend. And, uh, this thing was just there. And I, so I gave my Jeep a little bit of gas and that's when the thing just went like from the middle of the road and it just, it moved so fast. It was just like a split second. It was just a blur, just this black blur. 
That's all I saw. And like a generally upright shape uh, or down on the generally ground? Generally upright, yes. It was it uh-huh. was pretty tall. Um, but it was it looked like to me it was it was bent over. It was like, you know, it was definitely kind of leaning forward, it seemed like. Um like you might be getting shot out in a battle or something running. Yeah, I don't know. I, I gave my Jeep some gas, like, a, you know, like I was like, because it, it kind of just woke me. It's like, whoa, what's that? I I was kind of gave it some gas, and that's when the thing just just instantly it was just like this black flash. Was it Every, Everything happened really quick. You know, it's one of those type of things. You know, you're just driving, and then all of a sudden it happens, and then before you know it, it's over. Yeah. Was it nighttime? It was, oh, yeah, it was pitch black, yeah, at night. And how far ahead of the vehicle do you think it was? Oh, it wasn't too far. It was only about 30 feet. 30 feet. Okay. And then let me, uh, what, how fast do you think you were traveling at the time? Um, I was doing logging road. I was probably doing 15 miles about an hour. 15 or so. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Up in the hills or like at the blue mountains? Was it, uh, let me ask you this, the, the general location. I was on Biscuit Ridge road. Biscuit Ridge. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. That's an area of a lot of activity, of course. So, yep. you know, up on Biscuit, I, I mean, I don't know the blues that well. I've only been there four or five times max, I think. Um, one, two, three, four. Yeah. About five times, I think. Uh, but I, I was told that there's a, uh, a spring up on Biscuit Ridge that, uh, doesn't freeze during the wintertime. Hmm. Uh, do you know the area well enough to know those little spots and nooks and crannies or uh... I've, I've heard about that and I, I wouldn't doubt it. You know, um, I know my, my friend's spring, it doesn't freeze either. It goes, it goes year round. So those are important areas. Those springs are really important for Bigfoots. I think. Oh, I think so. I like, uh, yeah. I know back East, uh, when we're Minnesota and Wisconsin and places like that, we were always wondering like, how the world do they, how in the world do they survive the winters? And it always comes down to where the water does not freeze, you mm-hmm. know, so cedar swamps and all that sort of stuff, uh, moving water springs that have, um, uh, enough current so that the water doesn't get a chance to freeze. So I'm always right. kind of looking for those things. Not that I like big footing and snow or anything like that. I don't really nope. don't enjoy that sort of thing, but. We're not freaks like Paul Graves. <laughs> yeah, you're you're far more a man than I will ever be. You gotta Paul. get get you some good snowshoes and some ice cleats, and boy, you can go anywhere. Oh God, <laughs> it's just hell. It doesn't sound cool to me. <laughs> Paul loves it. I see Paul putting pictures up, like dragging his sled up to his cabin, going through the snow, like, dude. That's the Norwegian in me. I can't help it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is there anything you expect to find at certain times of the year, like structures wise or vocalizations or scat or do you find scat much or? Oh yeah. We found some really bizarre scat. When me and John, we backpacked into a super remote lake off trail. We we like to go into these lakes and deep in the cascades where basically you just, it's compass and you're, you're, you're working your way across tough country to get into some of these lakes and we found, I mean, the most giantest pile. John actually put it in his backpack and packed it all the way out. I think it's still in his freezer. Yeah, no, it's still in his freezer. And it tur- and it had turned white. It was really weird. But these rolls, they were stacked up on t- on top of each other. There was two, two, and then another one on top of that. 
And they had to have been three or four inches around. I mean, they were huge, but they were like perfectly stacked. And it was really odd looking scat. It was like, it was not bear scat that I'd never seen any bear scat. In fact, John had someone look at it and they said it was not bear scat. Really bizarre looking scat. And that was in, that was in, um, in the fall. It seems like they're very vocal in the fall. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, I will say that uh, more stuff happens. Uh, that, I might even say they're more active in a way in fall. Maybe they're just trying to get more fat on them before winter comes or something. You know, I, but, yeah, uh, I don't know. But I, I know September is like – we call that the golden month because September, October are just really yeah. good, good months to be in the woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The whole I've noticed uh, no, November seems to be the, the noisy month in the lowlands in my part of the woods. You know, yeah, not only on uh, my – really good too. Yeah, yeah. My, my property and other people over in the Clackamas River that I, I deal with and stuff. Like a, a lot of these people are reporting a higher amount of activity and vocalizations in November. Huh. That, that, that 10 to 12 week period there in the fall, that you get as much sound reports as the rest of the year combined. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. have you guys, have you, so uh, what kind of, pa- is there any like patterns you've, you've uh, kind of observed or things that you expect to happen at certain times? certain places like elevations or whatever it may be? Well, you know, I've gotten reports from both, like even during the winter time, um, I've t- two really good reports from one guy used to work for me was my former employee and another guy's a home builder. They both saw him off their snowmobiles up at almost 7,000 feet up, you know, dead of winter. Um, wow. but this one came the one guy's got a really good machine. It's a long track machine. So he, they can get back up into some of these areas that a lot of snowmobilers can't, they're like hardcore snowmobile billers. And he was way up, it was way up above Lake Wenatchee and, um, way up on the Ridge up there. And he came up to this little knoll kind of where there's this group of trees, this cusp of trees and this eight or nine foot Bigfoot come out and was waving its arm and yelling at him like, ah, ah, and just was carrying on. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> right in front of his snowmobile. And then the other guy, it this thing went right in front of his snowmobile on the trail up on Coleman Ridge, which is where Patterson got the picture of the, those famous uh, prints in the snow taken up on Coleman Ridge. That's, yeah. that's right up behind my house. And so he was actually going down Coleman Ridge down the other side. And this, I, he describes it as something black uh middle it was like midnight you know because we do a lot of night riding over here we'll ride up till you know we'll be midnight we'll still be up there on the mountain riding i love night riding and this thing just ran right in front of a snowmobile about 20 feet in front of him so they're up yeah there's you know the pattern you talk about patterns or whatever i mean i i i I think they totally you know follow the food sources and or their medicine sources you know the the uh, woods are full of not just food it's not just about food but the forest is also your medicine and all the early tribes, you know, utilize. In fact, all of our medicine really comes from plants, some sort or another. So, you know, medicines, food, food types are really important for something like a Bigfoot. So they're going to follow those whenever they're available. You know, Paul, get back to the, you've talked to two good witnesses that saw them swim. How do they describe it? What kind of stroke did they use to swim? What was their swimming style? You know, I I never really asked this guy how the thing swam across that particular um, 
it was in flood stage when we were there. It was super high. It was brown and running huge, you know, super high. And I've I've heard of their their stories of them being seen swimming in flooded rivers. Um, so I think a flooded river would be nothing for a Bigfoot. You know, he he would just be like, oh boy, look the the current's up. You know, <laughs> yeah. let's jump in. No, I didn't talk to that particular guy. Um, Jim Henry's story. You know, I can't quite remember also exactly the way the thing was swimming. That's a good question, but I'll have to maybe ask him how how it was swimming, if it was using – I, yeah, I think it was using its arms and kind of pushing forward in a forward motion from what I remember, but I can't be exactly for sure. So We'll just call it the squatch stroke for now. There you go. Supposedly they've been seen swimming underwater up in Alaska. I think Robert Alley talks about that in one of his books, and – it was it was doing like the frog swim underwater. I know a guy that saw the same thing on the Klamath River, doing yeah. the drift boat and the thing. It was really it was late summer. Um, the river was really down there, but it was still there was like a deep like uh, like a trench at the bottom of the river. So there was um, it was the river was narrow, but it was kind of deep and running kind of fast for how narrow it was, and um, it had to swim too. It swam underneath. Didn't tangle their lines, but it swam right underneath their drift boat. They wow. were anchored up, and it did like that frog stroke kick thing. It went under, underneath them, and then it had to go 200 yards up to get out of the water without them seeing it. So it swam underwater 200 yards up current without coming up before it surfaced. Jeez. I heard something very similar, but that was on the Lewis River, actually. Really? What'd you hear? Uh, f- uh, fly fisherman, the drift boat actually uh saw one uh it went um it was underwater and it went past them like they were i think anchored or something like that mm. and uh it kind of went past them but i think it was going downstream and um they 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 said it went around the corner and they didn't see it come up yeah but they saw it uh, going or you know go 10 15 feet behind the boat or whatever before it went around the corner so yeah frog i remember stroking underwater that's interesting i remember john green some of the first reports that I remember reading about, he talks about in the Nooksack River up near Bellingham of that happening during some particularly strong river uh, salmon runs. And the fishermen were drifting at night and these Bigfoots were literally swimming underwater and they were they were getting into their nets or grabbing their nets and then they'd go down so far, then a couple times they actually stood straight up in the river. But yeah, they were so swimming, nice. yeah, underwater. So mm. weird. I think that's how they get away a lot is they just jump, especially like in New Mexico or down in New Mexico. I think they just jump in the river and swim away. Yeah. Well, the waterways are, we all know how important the waterways are. I mean, throughout the whole country, it's, you know, if you've got creeks and waterways, these things seem to use them. And, and they could use them for a number of things. I mean, not just water, but just what you said, you know, losing, losing your tracks. I mean, you could get it in a river and go a long way and not leave no track, you know. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, oh, all right. Well, why don't we wrap this up, man? It's almost nine o'clock here. Yeah. Thanks, um, Paul. Yeah. Thank you so much, Paul. It was a pleasure talking to you. So yeah, when are we going to no, get a chance to see you again, man? Yeah, no, hopefully we'll definitely see each other this, this summer in July, right? Yeah. I think July 25th or something like that. 25th at the, or 24th. Yeah. At the Clackamas County Fairgrounds. Yeah, Oregon Bigfoot Festival. And check this out, Bobby. You changed the name. Oregon Bigfoot Festival and Beyond. I saw Where did that. you get that? Where did you get that? He sent me a, he sent it to me beforehand. He goes, What do you think of this? And I said, 
pretty original. And he goes, he goes, do you like it? I said, it's cool. Yeah, no worries. You know, we get we get royalties for that. <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah uh, but i guess uh the, the conference outgrew glen auto park in troutdale now it's moved to the clackamas county fairgrounds in canby i believe um yeah. and i think it's that weekend the july 25th or something and bobo and i'll be there paul will be there you're gonna be singing for us and stuff right Is yeah that correct? yep yep i'm gonna sing some bigfoot my some of my bigfoot sasquatch songs so yeah, if you go to if you go to YouTube and type in Paul Graves, like a grave robber, Paul Graves, Bigfoot in a YouTube, his stuff pops up and you gotta I mean Bigfoots and butterflies, but Jim Henry's my favorite. There's Bobo and Bun Bun. Oh, I'll tell the people real quick. From season one, we went to Oregon. I had a bunny in a cage out for bait and I adopted it, but then the producer sent it back to the pet store and it sold the next day. But that Paul wrote that song, Bigfoot and Bobo and Bun Bun, and that's the Bun Bun's that rabbit from the show. <laughs> well, I'd I'd originally envisioned like it, I wrote it kind of like as as a as a theme song for a cartoon, and I had envisioned you them making a cartoon with you as the the main character, and then of course the rabbit, and then you guys went on your adventures looking for Bigfoot or whatever, whatever. But I still think it could be done. So yeah. anyone in Hollywood, you want a good story? Here you go, Bobo and <laughs> Bun Bun. <laughs> you got any bigfoot songs in the works or that you just finished recently that we haven't heard yet you know i i've kind of got a couple ideas going that i do and i i'm going to do a studio version first of all of of lady of the woods oh yeah yeah i'm going to go in and i've been working on the studio on a new album actually and uh, i want to get that recorded then I, i've also been working mm. on another song the sasquatch of issaquah huh. and it's kind of a quirky song, but if you if you take the the town Issaquah and you look at it and look at the letters in there, Sasquatch is almost spelt within within that word. And so, I've just got this quirky little thing that I'm called the Sasquatch of Issaquah. Anyway, <laughs> your Sonica song is good too. I like that one a lot. Yeah, and I think that one's out there too on YouTube. Mo most of my Bigfoot songs are kind of I think mostly out on YouTube somewhere. Oh, thank you, Paul. Yeah, thanks, Paul, for coming on, man. It's good to hear your voice. I miss you, man. Yeah, man, you guys too. We definitely got to share a campfire soon one of these nights, you know, hopefully maybe this next summer or something. I plan on camping at the campground up there at the where we're, we're, we're going to be, so I think they're going to open up some camping in there. So Cool, cool. We're going to go to that spot where you got chased out. Yeah, I, we, I could take you up there, Bobo. You come up here, I'll take you in there. It's a deal. I'll show you that structure too, man. You'll be blown away. It's a date. Okay. Nice. Don. Okay, man. All right. Thanks, Paul. Hey, thank you, Bobo, and thank you, Cliff. You guys enjoy and and take care of yourselves through these times, and we'll get through all this, you know, and we'll get back to normal. So, yeah. yeah. My best to Becky. Oh, thank you. I will. Take it easy, Paul. All, all right. right, guys. Good night. Take care. Okay, Cliff. Well, that was a fun one. And everyone out there listening, thank you very much. We appreciate that. We appreciate it even more if you hit like and share. Share it with your friends, family, people you don't like, whoever. And until next time, keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. 
Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 